Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John Delano, and I'm the Communications Guy at Free Life Community Church in Ontario, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan and his friends are rich, Every changed person ought to want the mind of Christ. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We will take a look this morning at the humility of Christ and His example of it. I'm going to read today out of the English Standard Version simply because I I like the way uh, it is translated here because I believe it's the most accurate, uh, even over the NASB a little bit. Uh, But this is really good stuff in the way that Paul talks. And listen, the Apostle Paul is really moving on me lately. Does he, has he had that effect on anybody else recently? I, I, I'm speaking tonight um, in the fourth chapter of Ephesians uh, over here, uh, as well as online. You could pick that up. And, and I, it was so encouraging to me when I, when I did this video because I thought, man, this is good stuff. And I'm thinking, how in the world does Paul understand all this? You know, he's just brilliant in the way he looks at things. Well, of course, you and I both know it's because the Spirit told him. Amen? Amen. And so I'm grateful that the Apostle Paul instructs us. And so here he says in Philippians chapter 2, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, you have to take every sentence of, of the writer here. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, have the same mind and being of one mind with whom? God, (laughs) right? Do nothing, he says, from selfish ambition nor conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I don't suppose so. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, that was the the humbleness of Christ. He was being obedient. I think we misinterpret that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was highly exalted in him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the time or the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and get this, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and I have news for you, it's going to happen one day. That's absolutely going to happen. The Bible indicates and tells us that regardless of what they want to do, anyone left on the earth will bow and submit in obedience to the sovereignty of the living God. (laughs) Maybe not today, but one day. Amen? It's going to happen. So I began to think about that, and I thought, okay. Have the mind of Christ. we got to start there because that's what the sermon is, and there's a lot more too. But I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, Christians actually acted like Jesus? (laughs) Now, you're sitting there looking at me like, well, we do, don't we? I don't know, do we? Let me ask you a question. Is it possible? Is it plausible? that maybe all Christians don't act like Jesus all the time. I I think it's got an answer. You see, the name Christian implies 
that we reflect Christ uh, in our lives and certainly in our nature, in our, in, in, our, in our actions, in the way we live. Which means then that we should look, think, act, and believe in the exact same way that Jesus Christ did. As a human on earth, which ultimately, I dare say, is exactly the same manner in which the Father does it. Do you understand that? This is where we separate things. This is, where, this is where we struggle because we somehow believe that God the Father and Christ the Son are different in some manner. They are not. So many Christians want to separate them because they think the Father is too harsh and Jesus is more understanding. Now say it isn't so. And that's exactly what people are saying when they say, well, you know, I'm a New Testament Christian. So am I. <laughs> but I'm a Bible Christian. How about you? Anybody? Entire Scripture. Jesus said, I came to do what? Fulfill the Old Testament law as well as everything that God commanded. He came to do that. So how, if He didn't separate it, how can we? In fact, He says that Christians are absolutely to be followers as well as imitators of Himself. In fact, Paul admonishes the church at Caesarea Philippi to imitate the Master in every way. Amen. Because you can. In fact, here's another thing. If you could not be exactly as Jesus was as He walked the earth, would it have been commanded to you? No. So can we do it? Yes. Yes. God would not demand or expect it if it could not be done. Amen? Amen. Amen. But again, we want the out, you know. I've even been guilty of it. You know, when my wife has called me on the carpet for one thing or another, you know, and she'll say, is that Christ? Like I said, well, I'm not Christ. <laughs> and then I realize after I've said it, yeah, but just be like him. I don't, I don't need any more admonishment after that point because, because as soon as I've said it, I know the answer. Anybody? I know. And, and if you don't have, know the answer, then the Spirit probably isn't living in you or it's not filling you like it should. Amen? Okay. And so as I looked at this church, I realized something. First of all, this was a very good church. The church of the Philippians was a very, very good church. In fact, it was one of the best. And still, Paul felt the need to tell them of his concern and to remind them that they must completely follow Jesus Christ. Now, I thought, wait a minute, that, that's interesting. Because when we're good and we know it, that's all we want to know is that we're good. <laughs> we want people to tell us, well, I know you're good. I remember when my dad came home one time and my mother was so sick with cancer and I was about four, maybe three. You, you say, you remember? yeah, I do. And I remember I, I, two things had happened that day. First of all, I had gotten into some things in my mom and dad's room I wasn't supposed to and I got in trouble for that. And then uh, I was hungry, but I didn't eat my lunch, and so my mother was not having it. She was making dinner, uh, and I remember I knew my dad was going to be coming in that back door any time because he did that. Uh, and I crawled up in my, I had a big blue high chair, and I crawled up into it, and my mother, and there was nothing there but salt and pepper on the table. And of course, you know, I was hungry, and I kept telling my mom I was hungry, but I, I was, she wasn't giving in because I didn't eat my lunch. Of course, that never happened in any of your houses, you know? Uh, and, and so I, like a dumb kid that I was, took the top off the pepper shaker, and, 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 then, and then my mother didn't have much compassion upon me. And it burned. I didn't like it, you know? And then when my dad came in, after I'd stopped, the tears had stopped, because of, not necessarily because I didn't think my mother cared. Uh, of course, at the time, I didn't think she did. And not only that, the pepper didn't taste too good, and it was, you know, and, and she didn't help me out with anything with it, you know? And, uh, of course, you know, and, of course, I would probably do the exact same thing today, right? And, and so here's the thing. My dad came in the back door, and he picked me up, and I said, I've been a good boy today, Daddy. And my mother didn't say a word. And my dad looked at her. He, has he? She said, no. 
Everybody wants to be told they're good. Yeah? And when we're a good church, we want to hear that we're a good church. Don't we? We want to hear it so bad that we'll tell people we are. Yeah? Now, come on. And this was a good church. And I think it's interesting that Paul felt he had to remind them of what their duty is in emulating Christ, even though they were a good church. <laughs> right? A number of years ago, I had worked for the St. Joseph County Sheriff's Department, uh, and, uh, you know, a good, my, my, my captain uh, ran for sheriff and, and won the sheriff's race up there. It's always a Democrat that wins, uh, and, and uh, it was Joe Spybrook. He was a great guy, uh, but Joe made a big mistake when he was sheriff. Uh, his, his nephew, uh, he, he had done his first term and was running, and it was just a month or so or a month and a half away from the election. His nephew got arrested by uh, the South Bend Police Department, put into jail, and Joe Spybrook told the jailers to let his, his nephew out of jail before he, before he went to court. Well, you can't do that. Well, it didn't sit right with people. And the Republican candidate, who was Rick Seneff, another good friend, uh, won the sheriff race. Never had been done before. And I knew it was going to be a one-term deal because they're going to go right back to what they always vote. But so Joe's out and Rick is in. And Rick was kind of surprised he was sheriff. But this is what he did. He brought every department head in, and, and, and the D.A.R.E. program, the Drug Abuse Resistance Education, right? Our program was the model for Indiana up there at the time. We had gone to the national level and done, and so our sheriff's office went to a lot of different communities and taught it. And here's what happened. He brought the lieutenant in and, and one of the sergeants in that ran the D.A.R.E. program. They, he said, how's the D.A.R.E. program? They said, oh, Sheriff, it's great. And they listed all these amazing things that they had done, and it was substantial. And he said, great. How can we make it better? And they went, huh? It's already the best in Indiana. He said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you, how can we make it better? Do you think sometimes as a Christian, we're, we look at ourselves and we say we match up? I mean, didn't the Pharisees do this? Didn't the rich young ruler do this? Then they say, hey, you know, uh, this I've done the whole of my life. I'm pretty good, you know. And, and, and Jesus was like, yeah, but you, you lack something. There you go. That's right. Uh, you know, is, are we so remiss to think that somehow we don't lack something? <laughs> as good as we are. How many of you think there might be just a little bit of room for improvement? In your life. Right. Anybody? That's right. Friends, our attitudes should always be the same as that of Christ. And I have to admit, it isn't so every single day, every single minute for me. Now, I suppose you're better than me, so that it, for you it is. But for me, as I look at the Christ, as I look at the kingdom of God, not only what we prayed and what we sang today and what I know is up there or wherever it is, and I know what it's going to be like, and I look at him, and I look at myself, I think there's a chasm here. Now, praise God, the grace that he offers bridges the gap. Amen? Amen. But the fact of the matter is, I can be better than I am. And friends, as good as the church of Caesarea Philippi was, there were still a few issues there, you know. Because not everybody in that church got along with one another. And so they would sit at opposite parts of the sanctuary. Of course, that would never happen here. It would never happen, you know, uh, over at the bridge, my friend Billy Joe. And it would never happen at Maryland, you know, my friend Scott Long. It would never happen at their churches. It would never happen here. But it did there. And sometimes I suspect that, you know, just like it happens around our churches, that somebody probably said, well, you know, I can't hardly stand so-and-so because I don't still think I can go to church today. I'll bet that happened. What do you think? Amen. It happens a lot. Amen. Amen. And Paul writes to tell them that this isn't Christ-like at all. And so he writes to correct the issue and make sure that everybody starts having the right attitude so that they'll all get along, you know. And not just get along, but get along 
well. He doesn't want you to just tolerate one another in the sanctuary. He wants you to love one another and get along. Like you can't hardly wait to see those people, especially the ones you can't stand. How about that? What would, what would Christ have to do in the church today, in individual churches today, where there's someone in the church that you don't much care for, for and it doesn't matter who or why, okay? But He would change you to the point that no matter what they do or don't do, you could not wait to see them, to embrace them, well, to wave at them with COVID. But you know what I mean. What would it take for that? Because by doing so, the church of Caesarea Philippi and the church of today, I might add, would slam the door on Satan trying to get a foothold in those churches, Amen. and it would keep the church in tremendous spiritual condition. That's right. That's right. And that's what this part of our text is all about. But clearly, it's good advice for any church, whether you think you're good or not. And so I began to think about it, and I thought, okay, Paul, what exactly are you saying here? Lay it on me, brother, because I want to know, okay? I have an inquiring mind, and I don't need to go to the grocery store checkout to get it filled, okay? Because I believe I can, that my inquiring mind is due to my inquiring heart because they go together in Christianity. And, and because they're together, now my desire is to know what's in here. And if there's something that happens and I don't understand it, okay, then I'm going to go to the person to try to get an understanding rather than assuming things. And you know why? Because the Bible compels me to get inside of it and look into the person rather than at them. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to tell this church and this church. And so I began to think about what he said and I realized... First of all, and I don't know if you downloaded uh, the outline or not, but I will simply tell you that as it comes to the mind of Christ, His mind was filled with compassion. Mm-hmm. It and it is filled with compassion. Mm-hmm. And our minds must also be filled with compassion. And whenever a person's, uh, whatever a person's spiritual condition may be, when, when they're asked about Christ, that person must always respond that Christ is love, He is compassion, and He is humbleness. Uh, Some of your Bibles might say meekness. That's fine. And what this means is that Jesus knew the Father was absolutely the supreme being. And that His mind and His actions had to follow the Father's mind and actions in every regard. And He would know He'd been with the Father. (laughs) Anybody? The Bible says He was with the Father. Yes or no? Okay, so He knew the mind... And the actions of the Father, didn't he? And the Father, the Bible tells us through Christ and through others, that the Father loves humanity and he has compassion toward humanity. Agreed? And yet the Father will not compromise his law. Nor his commands in order to suit humanity. Did you hear what I said? The Father has love and compassion toward humanity, but He will not compromise His law nor His commands to suit humanity. And yes, He will absolutely allow humankind to choose to be lost if they are disobedient and want to continue to be disobedient. Jesus was humble in that He submitted Himself to the Father's will, not that He compromised and said, bless your heart to humanity when they were sinful. You see the difference? Amen. This is massive, and we better get a handle on it pretty darn quick. Amen. Because it has weakened the church when we have this mentality that it means we put our arm around uh, people who want to be sinful and sinful activity and say, it's okay, you can do it. No! No, 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 no. You see, Christ submitted to the Father's will, which meant that He couldn't compromise on obedience. He didn't. He didn't want to go to the cross. The Bible says that He was filled with this this disdain, this fear 
right? And you can, you can put a, uh, uh, you know, a spin on it any way you want. Well, it was because he was afraid of dying. I don't think so. I think it was a separation from the Father that got him, see? I, I, th- I think that's it. But either way, whatever it is, he, he had this fear. And you could, you, in fact, it said he sweated so much that it caused a physical, uh, you know, a, a medical condition. And it's, it's a truthful thing where, where the, the, your blood capillaries will open to the point uh, where it, it mixes in your, in, in, in your sweat and you begin to drop right. sweat droplets that are, have, have blood in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an it's a, it's a actual medical thing. We, we know of it. Yes, it and it's usually caused by... You know, terrible anxiety. And yet he still submitted to the Father. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't want to go, but he said, but he got, but we see it in the scripture. He got the Father's answer. And he said, okay. You see, unfortunately, much of, the, much of the church and even more of unbelievers think that Jesus accepts people just as they are, including their sinfulness, and nothing could be further from the truth. Do you, do, you, do you hear this? Do you understand? Guys, I know sometimes I speak in a manner where you're like, what is he talking about? But this isn't one of those times. This, this is so easy. Everybody, no matter, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you just began it or you're way advanced in it, or maybe you haven't even started it, but you're thinking about it, you could get this. Jesus never, ever compromised the truth. And he does not accept sinful activity. Amen. Period. Amen. Amen. That's the truth, friends. And yet, we... As a church, sometimes as Christians, seem to want to confuse love and compassion and humbleness with compromise and acceptance of sin, mm-hmm. with sinful practices, with disobedience, and even wrong belief systems. Mm-hmm. Don't we? Yes. We think that God, Christ, and even other Christians should love so much and have so much compassion that we ought to compromise the standards as well as the commands of God. Mm-hmm. That's not compassion. It's not even love. If you, want to get, if you really want to get down to it, it's not even love. And I can give you examples where Jesus proved His love. He never let people off the hook. We're going to get into more of that here in a few minutes. But you need to be thinking about those examples in Scripture because I know they're coming to your mind right now. Trust me, my friends. God will not compromise His standards. Jesus did not compromise those standards, and neither can we. So let's look at Jesus' attitude toward others. You see, he always reached out to help anyone who would respond to him, and that's the key. Those who responded to him. Okay? You understand what I mean by that? People who realized their spiritual need for a Savior, that's the ones he helped. Sometimes they did it because he helped them physically or whatever. And you know what the difference is? Jesus knew the heart of the individual, and he knew how they were going to respond, even if they didn't. Didn't he? I mean, come on, you guys. All you pastors out there, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And I'm thinking, oh, if I could just have that discernment. Right? Because we're, we're all forever wanting to know whether we should actually do this or do this or do this for an individual because you don't know if you're getting played, if they're serious, if their heart is right, whatever. And sometimes it doesn't matter if it is or not. And other times it does. Again, Jesus never agreed to or condoned sinfulness, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't help those who respond to Christ because Jesus always did so. But again, he never compromised God's position. Never did. He was never too weary to help those who came to him. The disciples even had to row away from shore in the Sea of Galilee because Jesus didn't want to leave, and he was exhausted. And you know the story after that. Right? The storm came up, right? It did. And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, Jesus always helped. And I wonder what my attitude is. I wonder... When I'm tired and weary, 
Or maybe I'm just weary of people. <laughs> how, how about you? He was never harsh nor critical of those who came to him for help. But friends, let me tell you this, that doesn't mean that he gave people what they wanted. We seem to think that we'll give them what they want. We should give them what they want because that's the compassionate thing to do. No, it isn't. It's harmful, actually. Isn't it? it is. And when I see a parent allowing a child to do what the child wants to do because they don't want to say no, but they know darn well it's not good for the child, I think you shouldn't be a parent. I'm dead serious when I say that. And you know my Dairy Queen story. I've said it a thousand times. Don't tell your child, behave, 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 or we're not going to get Dairy Queen. And the child doesn't behave, and then I see him at Dairy Queen. Now, this isn't about parenting today. This is about obedience to the right. And giving people what they want just because they want it doesn't mean it's the right thing. And that is not compassion. That's crippling them. Do you understand that? I'm going to have more on that too. Now, as I thought about that, I realized that Jesus gave these people what they needed. And again, he never compromised. And clearly, Peter and John saw that in Christ. They saw the example in Christ. For when he was gone, they did the exact same thing. Remember the blind beggar at the gate. He, he wanted money, and he, and he shook the can. And I can, I can hear, almost hear the coins, the denarii in it. Yeah? And Peter stops, and he turns to him, and they have something to do. They need to get there for prayer, you see, and, and they're almost late. But, but he stops because, because the Holy Spirit stopped, and he had passed that guy how many times? You know? How many times did he pass that? Because the guy sat outside the gate every day. And Peter was at the tabernacle every day. So they, they passed him every day, and they didn't help him. Why didn't they help? Because his heart wasn't ready to receive yet. That's why. And the Spirit knows. Okay. And so, so he turns them silver and gold. I do not have. But what I have, I give you. He can only give it if the guy was willing to receive it. The guy was in, no, no, no. And sometimes we do that, you know. God's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm offering this, and we're going. Who's done it? Who have you seen do it? They gave the man his sight, my friends, so that he could get his own silver and gold. Do you understand that? Silver and gold would not have helped the man. He'd have been in the same situation he was before, still sitting there by the, by the gate. More than that, his spiritual condition would not have changed. Right, right, right. Now, we talk about all the time where God sometimes brings people to their lowest point so that he can do something in them. And we won't let that happen because we're too busy giving them stuff. I'm not saying it's always that way. But sometimes it is. And Peter and John knew when the day was right, didn't they? And maybe Peter and John had done a little bit of this. I don't know. But today, it was something better. Anybody? Jesus himself said that mankind does not live on bread alone, but on the very In other words, the best way to give people what they need is not necessarily give them money or the things or what they want. That's right. That's right. But rather, it's always necessary to give them Jesus. How about that? There you go. That's right. Now, there's a thought. That's correct. Now, you could say, well, you prove how much you care for somebody, how much compassion, when it's not just about praying for them and loving on them and giving them Jesus. You've got to be actionable. I get that. We're going to talk about that, too. But sometimes actions have hurt them. Because now they're, de they're dependent upon <laughs> capitalism or monetary system or whatever, or the compassion of people, whatever it is. And, and, and they keep doing this and get, pushing Jesus to the side to get this. Yes, Christ recognized and allowed for the weakness of humanity. 
He always did something to help their situation, but he always followed it up with a spiritual challenge. Have you noticed that? If you read the Word of God and you read about Jesus, every single time he helped someone with a healing or whatever it was, he followed it up with a spiritual challenge to them. Right? With a spiritual challenge. Go and do unto others. Sin no more. Give as has been given to you. Sell all you have and follow me, etc., etc., etc. And that's a, that's a, I hate using that because it doesn't mean anything. It tells the reader and the, or the listener nothing. But it goes on and on and on. So I'm using etc. here because there's too many of them to mention. Friends, what Jesus never did, did you hear me? What he never did was exploit human weakness, give them an excuse or a crutch, and neither should we. He never did that. But the church today has been taught that that's what we're supposed to do. Okay? Now, Paul instructs us to be like the compassionate Christ. According to verse 3, we're not to insist upon having our own way. And, of course, we would never do that, you know. But having your own way doesn't mean you shouldn't be firm. Jesus was quite firm often. According to verse 4, we're admonished to do everything we can to help others, but to do so in a manner that I just outlined because that's how Jesus did it. And the mind of Christ always reflected compassion, and so should ours. If we have the mind of Christ, ours will too, yes? But compassion doesn't mean giving people what they want, nor giving them this crutch, or cripple them by giving in to their entitlement attitude. And there's a huge difference, I think. And again, as always, if I'm wrong, if, 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 if I'm misinterpreting what Paul said, if I'm misinterpreting the Christ, please tell me. Well, thanks, Bishop. I appreciate it. You know the drill. His mind was filled with compassion. His mind is also filled with concern. And they're different, you see. Because concern is closely related to compassion, but there's a difference. Genuine compassion moves into concern that leads to action. Right? I mean, I think that too often we go the opposite way than what we've been discussing here. Okay? Sometimes we'll not want to do anything, but we'll claim we care. Right? Well, you know, let, 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 me, let me pray for you. And I think you should. But sometimes I think God's saying, eh, maybe a little more than that. God, would you please bring someone across this person's path that can help them? And God's like, I just did. We're like, oh, surely my discernment's off today. I'm not grasping that. <laughs> Nobody in here ever did that, you know. Yes. We should always pray for people, but oftentimes we need to do more than that, even if it means giving up our time just to be a friend with them. And let's face it, they're probably going to get on your nerves. Look around. Somebody in here is going to get on your nerves. But you know what? Maybe we should give up our time to listen to them. Maybe we should give up our time to just spend time with them, even if we can't do anything to help them. Other times, I think we should share our treasure with them. And let's face it, we've probably already done it a time or two. Here's, the, here, here's another concept. Maybe we shouldn't give them anything. Maybe we shouldn't give them things. But here's what we should do. We should always give them our care. Jesus proved his concern. Will we? I remember as an eighth grader, uh, I as a seventh grader, we had two uh, grades in our middle school, Warsaw Middle School. And uh, it was pretty new school, and uh, uh, seventh and eighth grade were middle school, you know. And then a freshman high had their own school because our high school was too small for four grades. So you, seventh and eighth grade here, uh, freshman high over here. And that was a good transition, by the way. And then 10, 11, 12 in this school. Now they've changed it back. This Warsaw High School is one of the largest schools in Indiana uh, now, and so it's got all four grades in it. But here's the thing. I remember uh, I loved my seventh grade science teacher, and the eighth, there were 
three eighth grade science teachers, and one of them I couldn't stand. I didn't like him because I'd had him in elementary school when he taught uh, physical education. And everybody knew his reputation for being a very difficult teacher. And so nobody wanted him. And you can imagine my joy when I saw he was on my schedule. <laughs> and I knew I was in trouble when I walked in and sat down and I looked up at the clock trying to think out how soon it would be before I could get out of there. And there was a big uh, piece of paper over the clock that said, time will pass, will you? I knew I was in serious tr trouble, right? I was concerned. Everybody in there was concerned. But here's the thing, my friends. Jesus proved his concern. Notice that he illustrates his care for humankind by acting upon it and then sacrificing his life. He acknowledged that humans need help, and he agreed to pay the price. Have you made it personal? Do you know he paid the price for you? Matt, do you know that Christ paid the price for you? Do you know? Matt? Do, yes. Marianne, do you know? Who else in here knows? I called them out because I knew they, they, I could do that. Any visitors in here? I ain't going to call you out. Okay, but so, see, here's, here's the thing. I know he did it for me. I know it. Do you? And let's face it. This payment was at a serious cost. I mean, he was in heaven with the Father. He left heaven to come to earth to experience the pain of humanity. Who would do that? Come on, yeah. Something he certainly wasn't required to do, but he demonstrated his concern for us by paying the ultimate price. Where? On a cross. And let's face it. The cross today, friends, doesn't mean nearly as much as it did back then. Let me tell you. Okay? You understand what I mean? Okay? We wear it around our neck sometimes. Sometimes it's, got, it's a crucifix with a Christ still on it. Sometimes it isn't. And I've had, heard uh, Protestants say, oh, you should never have a crucifix because the Catholics never took Christ off the Give me a break. It reminds me of what he did. And sometimes we take him off the cross, and all we got is the cross. But with him on it, it has a whole new meaning on. You understand? And I think the Roman Catholic Church has something on us with that. I've got a crucifix in there, and I ain't letting go of it neither. Because I know what that must have been. I know how it happened. Okay? And if you're going to wear it around your neck, or you're going to have it on a charm or whatever, you better know what it means. Because it, it was a massive cost. And I think that God demands us to do the exact same thing. I'm not saying He demands that we give up our physical lives for others, but I think He expects us to be willing to if He calls us to it. Now, now, now did you hear that? But giving up our lives, friends, isn't necessarily a physical thing because giving up our lives is investing into the kingdom and into people. Remember what the Bible tells you. Those who try to hold on to their life will lose it. But if you give it up freely, you gain true life in eternity. You see, giving up our lives and investing into the kingdom means giving up your time for the church and ultimately for others. You know, we're pretty covetous with our time these days. Now, come on. Look in the mirror. You know you are. You know how I know that? Because I am. Aren't we? The person that can, God can really do something in this morning is the person who will admit it. Hmm? We're pretty covetous with our time. I've heard people say things like, well, I've already, I already give up Sunday morning. I heard somebody once say, listen, I come Sunday morning, and I'm here on Wednesday night, too. That's two days out of the week I'm in church. I don't think I'd even want to respond to that. And I think, do you know how sad that is? 
You know what's sad? For starters, you aren't giving up anything. You aren't, you aren't giving up a thing. You know how I know that? God doesn't need you to do it. You're not benefiting God. You're not benefiting God when you give up of your precious time to be in church twice a week. There were people in, in, a, in a better time that gave up about every day for it. Amen. They went to church every day. There are some people that do it even now. See, God expects you to do it because it will benefit you, not Him. Do you understand that? And when you start checking boxes that you went once or twice a week, or three times a week, God forbid, three times in one week in a church. I look at this church every single day, this building, and it sits empty every day, except for Sunday and Wednesday. And on rare occasions when we have something else. That is the greatest waste of resource I have ever seen in my life. And it makes more sense to me that more churches are going to uh, a building that something's in it every day. Multi-purpose, they call it. You say whatever you want, but that church is being used for ministry every day. Now, I'm grateful we have a facility next door we can do that with. But I want to tell you, some churches sit dormant except for one session on a Sunday morning, and it's not, nothing else is done the remainder of the week. I'm not... Picking on people, don't. But what I'm saying is, what about the context we're talking about here? And let's face it, how many evenings of church activity is too many? Now, come on. I want you to, I want you to look up from your phones and your books and your Bibles and whatever it is, you know, whatever you're, you're hiding, whatever you're doing. Here, let's see who's hiding. Look. Who's hiding? Look, here's what I want to tell you. I can't see my paper. Look. <laughs> Seriously, friends. Do we have that mindset? Who in here has ever had that mindset? That you're actually counting how many might be too many. Do we really think that somehow a certain amount of evenings or days serving in the church or attending services is enough? I'm pretty sure God wants us to believe that there aren't enough days, there aren't enough hours to give into the Lord's kingdom, His church, His people, His creation, and really for our own benefit. I don't think God thinks there's ever enough. And I think you're going to find out in heaven that there isn't. <laughs> As I read what's going to happen there, Better get used to it, because you're going to be doing it pretty much 24/7. Of course, 24/7 aren't isn't even a factor. Yeah, it's not. There's no such thing as hours and days. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure God wants us to believe that there aren't enough days and hours. Wesley himself said this. He said, "Oh, that there were enough days." Enough hours that God would give me enough minutes to spend time with Him. To be in His presence, to be in, in with His people in a, in a church service, appraising Him and learning about Him and fellowshipping together with like-minded and like-hearted people. That would change lives, He said. And it did. It did. You want to change lives today? You want to change the mentality today? You want to change the world, the nation, the state, the city? Spend time with other Christians, gaining more Christians in the church two, three, four, five, seven days a week in some manner. That will change. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. Don't believe me? Let's try it and find out. I'll make the deal with you. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, we can say, oh, that didn't work. But you know how confident I am that it will? It happened here. It's happened everywhere it's ever been tried. It's going to happen again. What do you think? 
You see, Paul demands that we have the same mindset. The mind of Christ does not demand convenience nor comfort. Never has. The mind of Christ knows that there's going to be sacrifice, there's going to be heartache, there's going to be tiredness, frustration, anger, and even, yes, sometimes exhaustion. You know what? I, I'm, I'm going to admit, sometimes people exhaust me. Kind of like now. I'm kidding. I'm not exhausted. I'm just getting started. <laughs> Ain't it great when people can't really rebut what you're saying because it's scriptural? <laughs> right? Love that. Love that. Friends, even in the exhaustion and whatever else you want to add to it, the reward is pretty amazing, don't you think? Amen. And the world needs to see concerned Christians who are going to go out of their way to make a difference in their part of the world, in, in your part of the world. Because you touch people that I can't. And the bishop is going to touch people I, I can't. And I'm going to touch some he can't. And, and for all, it's the same for all of you, you see. The, you know, Jesus did this, and he expects and demands the same from us. And the Good Samaritan is a great ex example of that, you know. Uh, notice there wasn't any entitlement involved here. Like, like the guy laying on the side of the road was a Jew, but he wasn't asking him for anything. It wasn't like, you know, he was looking for a handout. or he, It wasn't that at all. He was somebody that got mugged, he got hurt, and the guy saw it. He saw the need. And so he went and helped him. And it didn't matter who he was. The difference was that these men came from different backgrounds, different cultures and ethnicity, and yes, probably different belief systems. But it didn't matter to the Samaritan. And you know that on another day, if he wasn't hurt, the Jew would have said, stay away from me, man. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't want to know you. I don't want to, I don't even want to, matter of fact, you walk on the other side of the street. But I'll bet today, I'll bet today he was pretty grateful for the Samaritan being on his side of the street. What do you think? Amen. Okay, yes. you see? Yes. 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 This is what we're talking about. And that brings me to my last point. The mind of Christ, friends, for this to all happen, the mind of Christ is filled with commitment, you see. It's filled with commitment. And that, that's a word we don't like. Peep, I guarantee you, I could go right down the road. I could start over here, and I could look at every one of you, and I could probably tell you, because I've known you long enough, in what area you're not going to be committed. As you could probably do the same for me. And I'm not calling people out, and I, I don't want to call people out. But here's the, we are not a committed society today. We're not a committed church today because we don't know what it means. We're, we're too worried about leaving ourselves open so that we can adapt and do what we want at that moment. Come on now. Cool. We are. Yeah. We want the degree from our college, but we're not really sure we like the idea of committing to four years of going to college, sometimes five. In fact, in, anymore today, unless you're willing to really get it done, it's going to take you five years to graduate on, on an undergrad degree. I'm telling you. Fact. And colleges do it on purpose. Don't think they don't. Hmm? Come on now. It's another year. Why wouldn't they? And here's the fact. Sometimes I realize some people can't do it. I, I, I know. Because you take 15 hours, you know, sometimes 18 hours. That, 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 depending on the class, that's a lot. And it's going to take what? Commitment! Because there's other things, let's face it, you could be doing and we'd rather be doing. And your friends are going to say, oh, come on, let's go, right? It happens in the church, too. You know, to get, you, I, I, we, you can't get a degree in the church. But what you can get is the advanced understanding and spirituality and knowledge that you ought to have. Amen. Okay? We don't measure it necessarily, but the Spirit does. Do you understand that? The Spirit measures it. And here's, here's, here's the deal. When compassion and concern are combined, commitment is always the result. Because we live in this, and, and I, said, I made this up, this is mine, you can steal it all you want. Because I'm probably never going to finish this book anyhow, so you might as well go ahead and steal it. Uh, we live in this, what I call, a set it and forget it style of Christianity. Because you want to set it and forget it and everything else. And then be reminded when it's time. That's, that's what we want to do. This is not commitment. Never been committed. Because if you're committed, it never leaves your mind. 
never lose your heart. And you, you can't get off of it, you know. Commitment means you're thinking about your relationship with Christ all the time. It means you talk to Him. You're constantly looking for ways to deepen your relationship oh, yes. with Him. Yes. And let me tell you something, friends. It's not just about prayer either. You heard me say that. It's not just about prayer. Oh, it starts there. And that, that's got to be the baseline for it. Yeah? yeah? Okay. But it's not just about prayer. L- l- let me explain. How many hours each day do you think you're actually serving Christ? Now, come on. Look at tomorrow. Who's got everybody? I can't believe I'm doing this. Pull out your cell phone. Come on. Uh, Listen, don't. You've got them. Pull them out. Pull out your cell phones, everybody. Get them out. At home, I can't watch you, but God knows. Get them out. Pull out your cell phone. Come on. Somebody, you guys aren't listening. I see you. I'm going to show you something here. Go to your calendar. Who, okay, who doesn't use their calendar and their cell phone? Therein lies the problem. Amen. Okay. But if you got a who's got their calendar up? Who uses it? Now, what's on it for tomorrow? Give me one thing. Shout it out. Okay, get nails done. I, that's a great thing, Mandy. You should take time for yourself. That's great. Make sure Jonathan watches the kids, and you go get a latte and go do it. Okay. And Jonathan, you tell her, dear, I want you to have that. That Just marital counseling 101. Okay. But tomorrow, or the next day, Jonathan's turn. Okay. Now. That's right. Now, what else? What you got on your calendar? Okay. What? Hostess board meeting. Taekwondo. <laughs> Janet, yours says deliver mail, I'm sure. Yeah. Anybody else? Doctor's appointment. Come on, you guys. What do you got, Joel? What? Insurance adjuster. Come on. Who else? Okay. Who else? All right. See, you got things. Friends, who's got spend time with God on their calendar? Who, who get deeper with God on the calendar? Serve in the church. Who's got that on their calendar? Not a one. Now look, I know that because you didn't call me. Here's the deal. Listen. Okay, so when you look at this, I, I, I begin to think about this for a little bit. And I thought, how many hours do we actually do that? How many hours do you do something for your church, for other Christians, for even unbelievers, to show them that they have a need for Christ? How many hours do you do it? Notice I said hours. We look at it, how many minutes do I have to do it? Come on. Hmm. I think more often we check these boxes in our commitment to the church by setting the standards that we think are appropriate or rather than asking God how much time He wants from us. What do you think? I'm I'm just spitballing here, but I bet I'm accurate. Because all I have to do is look at my own life, friends. And I spend an awful lot of time doing stuff in the church. Because I work here. But God's not asking me about that, is He? You see, Jesus was committed to the salvation of humankind. And since He was and continues to be, shouldn't we be? You know. And so, you know, I began to think about that. And I thought, you know, remember, He owed humanity nothing. But compassion and concern caused him to lay his life on the line. And I doubt seriously that we are laying our lives on the line. I doubt seriously that we are. And I'm not asking you to, but God's asking you to be willing to. You understand? Okay? Because that shows your commitment. That shows your compassion and your concern that Christ had. And I'm not talking about physical death or danger here. I'm talking about commitment to the unsaved. I'm talking about to be saved and to to help them and the needy who are saved. Because we have both, you know. I'm talking about sacrificing our time. I'm talking about sacrificing our talent. I'm talking about sacrificing our treasures for our church and for the kingdom and for others. 
not checking a box. Gosh, I got to go to church Sunday night and Wednesday night. Right? You know, I thought, okay, Jesus paid the price. (laughs) And because he did, my friends, I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Bear with me. And because he did, he has given us the opportunity to be saved. And aren't you grateful for that? Who's grateful for that? Okay, so, so you said it. Now, we've accepted it, right? And now he expects us to do the same, hence the Great Commission. Notice this has nothing to do with crucifixion or physical death. And, and, and listen to me. You want to turn there, you can. Matthew 28. If you got it, maybe you want to mark it. Maybe you want to write it down in your book. Maybe you want to you know, put quotes on it. We blow past this too much. I think we missed what he said. In Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus said, he came to them and said, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah, I know that. Right, right, Great. Right, right. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're like, yep, done. Did it. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait. I said, more. I said, more. You did? Uh-huh. I said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, in other words, and if you do this, if you do it, then I will be with you to the end of the age. But if you won't do it, you're not obedient, that means I'm not with you because my spirit's not in you. Now, he didn't say that, but that was his implication. Because if you're going to be obedient, it's because the Spirit's in you. You won't be obedient to Him if the Spirit's not in you. Agreed? We can establish that all day. And if the Spirit is in you, how can you not be obedient? How could you not teach people to obey everything He commanded? It isn't optional. Clearly, Jesus is talking to them about sacrificing their lives for others, isn't He? He says, make new disciples. Have we done that? Probably a little bit. He says, baptize them. I think we've, in the last couple of years, done pretty, we baptized what? Jay, 60 people? Probably so in two years. Great. I remember we went years here and never did any of it. But now we are. Great. Are we making disciples out of the baptized? Uh, are we? What does that mean exactly? If you don't know what it means, you're probably not doing it, right? Okay, so we got to do that. But he he goes further. He says, (laughs) and I think we end the Great Commission right there because our commitment ends once we get someone baptized almost. Have you noticed that? But Christ demands more. He said, teach them to obey everything he commanded. We're scared to death of that. Why? Because we're not sometimes. How can you... Teach someone to obey the Christ if you're not. Mm-hmm. Huh? That's right. And not only that, you and I both know that it's a struggle to teach people that because people want to believe what they want to believe. Amen. We've established that for years. Amen. Okay? Right. And you know why they want to believe what they want to believe. Amen. Do what they want to do. Yeah. Right. That's pretty common. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. 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 The problem is we're not being obedient to Jesus' commands if we won't. We're just as disobedient as they are. Aren't we? Now, come on. Be honest. Okay? But Jesus, okay? (laughs) Remember, (laughs) Jesus was willing to do whatever it took for the benefit of all humans, wasn't he? Even He was even willing to hurt their feelings. (laughs) And he hurt a lot of feelings, I think. He stepped on a few toes, too, didn't he? Dad not here. Oh, yeah, he is. He's back there. Dad, I didn't even see you guys there. Hi, Glad you're home. Okay. Does God step on your toes? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He not, he, has he, does he ever tell you, Pop, that he's afraid to do that? Never. Never. Boy, I feel the same way. Isn't that strange? But we're afraid to do it, see. He wasn't. He wasn't afraid to chastise them neither, but we are. He did it several times. He told the woman, I, in fact, the man you're living with isn't even your husband. That, oh, that's very true. She's like, oh, <laughs> right? 
right? I mean, was he afraid to tell her that? We would look at someone, well, I, don't, I don't want to mention it, you know. I don't want to mention it. But he, he said, hey, let me, tell, let me tell you about you, okay? Why did he tell her? Go and change it, right? Why else would he bring it up? You, people are going to go along with it and keep doing it if you don't tell them about it. You know, like when people, they, here, here's what I found. This is what gets me. I, I, I'm like, really? People, it has happened to me, will uh, be doing something, and they'll see me, and they'll hide it immediately. Like, quick, hide it. You're worried about me? I wouldn't be. I'd be thinking somebody else might be peeking. <laughs> Anybody? That's, that's some screwed up stuff right there, isn't it? You're worried about the pastor, but you don't seem to care that you're doing it right in front of God and everybody. Huh? Okay. You see, I, I think of the rich young ruler. Uh, Jesus never did let that guy off the hook. He let him walk away, didn't he? And he, he didn't want to get accept him until the guy came and changed and did what Jesus told him. Jesus knew what kept him from this life that he ought to have. He, told, he called him out on it. The guy wasn't willing to do it. And we're not either sometimes. Amen. And we don't even want to call other people out on it either, mm -hmm. you see. He didn't let him off the hook, and neither can you and I. And if it's us that's on the hook, then you shouldn't let each other off either. Amen. Because guess what? That is more important than this. Right. Always has been. Always will be. So Amen. Jesus was committed to the continued salvation of humankind. Do you understand that? Because I believe in the Wesleyan church, we all believe you can lose your salvation. It's conditional. I don't think it's that easy to do. If you're really saved, it's kind of hard to lose it, friends. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. It's pretty hard to do. You have to almost walk away from God to do that. But it can be done, and people have. Okay? And it isn't up to me or you when they've done it. It's up to God when they've done it. All right? But here's the question. Are we committed to the continued salvation of humankind? Or we'd rather, we'd rather gamble with it, maybe? Huh? Because we're doing that. We're gambling with the continued salvation of people. When we won't call out a person who claims to be a Christian when they're doing sinful things, mm -hmm. when they're believing sinful things, when they're thinking and allowing others to do the same. You've got to call out the person that's doing it and the person that condones it. I'm telling you. Did, did they? Did he? So what are we willing to do in order to maintain the kingdom by insisting that people follow the truth rather than what they want to follow? Amen. You see, Christians are to be committed to making a difference just as Christ has done. Christ is and always has been. Hence, John 1. John would not compromise. In 1 John, we find that John said that we must maintain our position on the truth and if people can't handle it, then that's on them. And if they lose their salvation, then that's on them. Amen. But compromise is, never has been, part of the plan, nor can it ever be. In fact, Paul himself was a living example of the committed mind as he became a missionary and took the gospel everywhere he went. And I, I want you to hear me here, church. I want you to hear me at home. I want you to hear me at Mac. I want you to hear me, whoever's listening. Okay? I don't want to be this popular TV evangelist. I have no interest in that. But I want to be a truth giver. Okay? And I want you to understand, this is the Word of God, and this is exactly what happened. The Apostle Paul took the gospel wherever he went, and he also offended people wherever he went. He offended people wherever he went, because the gospel, in, the, in, in its truthfulness and in its simplicity, offends people. Amen. Sometimes Paul, bless my heart, offends me. But such is the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm sure that Paul was sort of offended by it at times. What do you think? But Jesus said his grace was sufficient. <laughs> well, I'm offended by the gospel. Anybody? But the gospel isn't to be compromised ever. No matter how much love and compassion we have for someone, the gospel can never be compromised. And as our worship team comes, friends, listen to this. If we compromise to make people feel better, 
we are in danger of condemning them for eternity. I think some of you ought to be writing that down. I got, let's take it to the next level. I want you to share that with everybody you know tomorrow. Why not? If we compromise the truth of the gospel with people, no matter how much compassion and love for them we have, we're condemning them, not helping them. Do you understand that? Not only that, we're in danger of condemning ourselves. I think I will. If we compromise, we're in danger of condemning ourselves. The Bible says so. 100% says so. Jesus himself said it, friends. Are you ready? You know I got something to back it up. You know I do. Okay? Because Matthew 12, 36 and 37, this is Jesus. I tell you that people will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have ever spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You tell somebody it's okay to be sinful, or God has compassion and doesn't mind, you just condemn them and yourself until you change it. I believe that. I do. Because he said it. And I don't ever want to be in that predicament. Not only do I not want to be there myself, I don't want to be responsible for the one I just condemned. Anybody? Amen? Jesus did not come so that God would exalt him. It was the other way. Do you understand that? He came because he cared. He came because he loved and because he had compassion. But his love and compassion are different than we're exemplifying today because we've neutered it. We've watered it down. We've changed it. God never did. Paul was telling the church to be like Jesus. He told them to carry a burden and to let that burden affect their lives. And every person who has ever experienced the mind of Christ enjoys a tremendous relationship with God. You can say what you want about Robert Schuller. And he made some mistakes along the way. And the Crystal Palace is now a large Roman Catholic church. But I'm grateful that's being used somehow. But here's the deal. He wrote a book one time, and I have a signed copy from him, and it says, My Soul's Adventure with God. And at the time, I've got to be honest, I don't know that I considered that my soul was having an adventure with God, but it sure does now. And I know what it is, you see. In the end, Paul really knew the answers to many questions, didn't he? You know why he knew the answers to these questions? Because of his experience and relationship with the living Christ. That's how, he, that's how he had the answers. And so can we. We should be in the dark. There's no reason to be in the dark. Because this relationship and experience is ours if we want it. And here's what I'm going to say to you today. Do you want it? Do you want that relationship with Christ? Then come and have the mind of Christ. Because if you have the mind of Christ, you will, you will also receive the heart of Christ. We've done it backwards. We want the heart of Christ before having the mind. Can't. Not possible. Because your feelings will lead you astray. There has to be a check and balance with the mind. And you can't just be mindful too. You've got to be heartfelt. It goes together. But the, it starts in the mind. That's why Paul said, you will get these things by the renewing of your spiritual mind. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.